Good morning again, everyone. Good morning. Thank you, Carolina. (laughs) Good to see you all again. This morning, we are going to be starting a new sermon series, and you may have seen this in the newsletter, a sermon series that's going to carry us through the summer, and so we'll be looking at First and Second Samuel over the next several months, and particularly looking at the life of David as presented to us in First and Second Samuel. And so, as always, when we start a new sermon series that goes through a book of the Bible or books of the Bible, would encourage you all to read along, uh, read ahead if you want, or read behind if you're behind, that's okay, but Uh, We've got lots of time, several months, for you to read both of those books in the Bible. I think the Lord will use that as we go through this together. And I would also encourage you, if you like extra books to read, some of you do, uh, this is a book by Eugene Peterson called Leap Over a Wall, and it's Reflections on the Life of David, and so this is a a good book. I uh, will be drawing from this book as we preach through it, so we just commend that book to you as well, uh, Leap Over a Wall. And if you figure out what that reference is from, then you can come and tell me, uh, and I don't I don't know what you'll get, but you can just come tell me. So, um, so unfortunately, even though we'll be in this book, these books for a while, we still won't have time to cover all of the passages in First and Second Samuel. So we're going to be hitting some of the highlights of David's life as well as the lowlights of David's life. But again, another reason for you to read through all of it so you know everything that's going on. We're going to be meeting lots of different characters along the way, mostly focusing on King David and on his life and his relationship with the Lord. And so I just would encourage you to do that. Our sermon is going to be a little bit shorter today because of the sacraments, but let's pray before we read the word of the Lord together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you speak to us through your word. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us once again and that you would You would open our ears so that we could hear what you have to say to us today. And would you open our hearts? Would you engender faith in us, Lord? Uh, We pray that we would not leave here unchanged this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our passage today comes from the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. So you can follow along with me if you'd like. Hear with me the word of the Lord. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. 
And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. And therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I've been in lots of different churches as I've grown up, uh, grown up to age 45. I guess I'm past growing up at this point on some level. But I've been in more liturgical traditions and less liturgical traditions. And in the more liturgical traditions, people will often say, after reading Scripture, this is the word of the Lord. And then the response is what? Thanks be to God. So you all have heard this before. That's right. Now, if you come from a less liturgical tradition, or if you maybe if you come from a liturgical tradition, but you've sort of turned away from that a little bit, sometimes the argument against that is when you do that every time, it just becomes sort of this ritualistic thing. It doesn't mean anything. And so we shouldn't do that because we're saying it, but we don't really think about it. It's just this automatic response. But at the same time, At the same time, for people who like the liturgy and like the liturgical tradition, the argument would be to say, when we say that, we are acknowledging something very important about what it is that we have just done and what we have just read. That these aren't just regular words, but this is the word of the Lord. And we respond by saying, thanks be to God, because we are thankful for it. We say this because we are acknowledging that we believe that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, what we just read, and that God has spoken to us through this word and still speaks to his people through the scriptures, through the Bible. Whenever we open this book up and we read these words, we trust that God is speaking to us in that moment. So that's why we do this. In fact, in the tradition that I'm part of, we believe that God's word comes to us in three different ways. And maybe not everybody believes this, but this is what we talk about, is that God speaks to us through the scriptures, that this is one way that the word comes to us, the word of the Lord. We also believe that he speaks to us through the sermon as the word is preached. So the word read, the word preached, God is speaking to us. And we also, in the Reformed tradition, talk about how the sacraments are a form of God's word and that God reveals himself to us through baptism and through the Lord's Supper. 
that there is a way that God is speaking to us in those sacraments as well when we participate in them. And so this morning, God is speaking to us a lot, my friends. So please listen. Listen. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. So all three of these things are ways that God reveals himself to us, that God shows himself to his people through these forms of his word. And this is the only reason that we need to study God's word, the Bible, right? Because it is God's word to us. This is why you come and listen to a pastor, whoever it is, speak up here for multiple, multiple minutes on Sunday mornings, right? Why else would you do that? Where else is this happening? Where else is this happening where people just sit and listen for 35 to 40 minutes, maybe 25 today, right, to somebody just waxing eloquent about this book? But it's because we trust that God is speaking to us through the sermon in some form or fashion. That's one of the reasons we gather together on Sunday mornings. In writing on this passage, Eugene Peterson says this, that God speaks is the basic reality of biblical faith. The fundamental conviction of our faith is not so much that God is as that God speaks. Not so much that God is as that God speaks. The Bible itself begins and ends with God speaking. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God speaks the universe into creation, saying, let there be light. And in Revelation chapter 22, the Holy Spirit says, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The whole story of Scripture is one of God speaking to his people, speaking to them personally. God isn't just throwing out laws and rules and commandments to follow in his word. He's not just giving clearly defined theological treatises to assent to. Uh, What is your theory of justification? God isn't just interested in answering questions like that. God speaks to people. God speaks to real people like you and me and like Samuel and Saul and David. And God calls them by name. And God addresses the realities of their actual lives. God addresses the messiness of people's lives and the messiness of the world around them. This is one of the reasons it's so important for us to read and study the Old Testament because we see so many pictures in the Old Testament of God relating to his people and people being faithful and unfaithful and their lives are messes, very much like ours are at many times. My Old Testament professor in seminary, she wrote in a book about the Old Testament, she said the good news of the Old Testament is that God is involved with his people. God is involved with his people. And that's what we're going to see as we look at First and Second Samuel in the life of David. This is good news for us because the same is true for us. God calls you by name. And God speaks into the reality of your actual life and all of its messiness, all of the good and the bad. And God has something to say about the messiness of the world around us too. God's word is powerful It has the ability to convict, to call us to repent, to engender faith in us. The Apostle Paul speaks of it this way. He says, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Friends, the word of the Lord is powerful. And so God reveals himself to us through his word. God speaks to us through his word. And thanks be to God for that.
But our passage today begins by saying that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision, or there were not many visions. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. God was not speaking very much, apparently, or God was not revealing himself very often at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. And we're even told that Samuel, the boy himself, did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I love this passage. I hope you all have read it before. It's such a vivid uh, image, and you can picture Samuel as a little boy and what that must have been like. You know, Eli, the old priest who, who is, is aging, can't hear as well, can't see as well, you almost can picture him being somewhat frustrated with Samuel, right? This little boy runs in, wakes him up. Have any of you been woken up in the middle of the night, right, by a child? It's kind of frustrating sometimes, okay? And he says, you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed, Right? And it happens again and again. But what must have this been like for Samuel, this little boy, to hear God calling his name over and over again, not understanding what exactly was going on? So like I said, this is the first sermon in our series on the life of David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. He's the one described as a man after God's own heart. He's the one that the gospel writers even connect Jesus himself to, calling him the son of David. But as you noticed, we didn't talk about David in this passage today. His name's not even mentioned yet. We might not even get to him for a couple more weeks. But like everyone's life, David can't be understood in a vacuum. We have to know something about the people around him, the world he was born into as well, before we can understand really who David was and why his life was the way it was. I remember uh, several years ago, I started reading this three-volume biography about Winston Churchill called The Last Lion. It's like this thick. And I remember I was about on page 100, and he hadn't even been born yet in this biography. I thought, what's, what's going on here? But it's because in order to understand him, you have to have a sense of Victorian England. And you have to have a sense of his parents and who they were and the, and the place that he was born into. That's true for any one of us. To understand us, you have to know about our background, where we were born, where we're from, what family we come from. That's how we can understand who David is. And likewise, Uh, Like I said with David, in order to really know who he is, we can't just start with the first time that we see him when he is anointed as a boy by the prophet Samuel to be the king over Israel. And as an aside, just really quick, I want to say that the book of 1 Samuel has much to say about how God views children. And if we pay attention, we'll see that because God speaks to Samuel when he is a boy serving in the temple. And God chooses David to be the king over Israel when he is a boy serving as a shepherd over his father's flocks. God doesn't just see them as the future of Israel. They have an integral role to play right then, even as children. And so I think it's important for us here at ICP to pay attention to our youth and our children and to see what God is doing in their lives and how God is speaking to them and to ask them what God is doing in them and to listen to what they have to say because there is much that they can teach us just as there is much that we can teach them. So in order to know David, we have to first come to know the prophet Samuel and to know what God is doing through him. And we have to know the state of affairs in Israel at that time. 
And for the second part, to think about what was going on in Israel at the time, we already said that the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. I would also point us back to the book of Judges, to the time after the Exodus, when the Israelites are done wandering in the desert, and Moses has died, their great leader, and they have settled in the promised land. And the Israelites immediately begin this cycle of breaking their covenant with God. And as you might imagine, when they do that, things start to go downhill quickly, and the people inevitably cry out to God for help because they they see that things are not working around them. And then God sends someone to deliver them from distress, a judge. And we meet these characters like Samson and Gideon and Deborah and Jephthah, and God rescues the Israelites, but then the cycle repeats itself. I wonder how many of us, when we read the book of Judges and we hear this description, we might think of our own lives with God and the cycles of unfaithfulness and faithfulness that we all experience and how we have to call out to God for help sometimes in order to be rescued. And the main theme of Judges, as it is with all of Scripture, is God's faithfulness and deliverance in light of Israel's unfaithfulness. And Judges shows us very clearly the consequences of sin. It's a good case study in the destructive results of sin on both individuals and on communities and societies. That rebelling against God is not good for us on any level. But the last verse of Judges sums up the problem masterfully, and that's what I want to get to here. It says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think there's no better definition of sin than this line right here. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the antithesis of the greatest commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind, and that second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Instead, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There is no accounting for God in living this way. There is no accounting for other people in living this way. You're only living for yourself. I'm going to do what's right for me. I remember several years ago, I was doing some research for a different sermon, and I was looking for what people had to say about freedom. In America, we're really big on freedom and liberty. And so I was looking, and and I remember finding this video where somebody was going around and interviewing people and saying, what does it mean to you to be free? And this one person said, it means I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And often that is how we think of freedom, of being set free, of liberty, And that's exactly what Judges is talking about here when it says everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, regardless of the consequences. This is the Bible's own accounting of what was happening in Israel before David became king. This is the situation when Samuel comes on the scene. In fact, it was so bad that even the priests, when you look at the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, even the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, they're the sons of Eli, it said they were the priests, and it said they had no regard for the Lord. These are the people who are meant to be ministering to the people and ministering before God, and yet they had no regard for the Lord. And they were abusing their spiritual authority in people's lives to enrich themselves. That's how bad it had gotten. And so God had rejected them uh, and their priesthood. The first chapter of 1 Samuel tells us about how Samuel came to be ministering to God on that fateful night when the word of the Lord came to him. 
It tells us about Samuel's mother, this, this faithful woman, Hannah, who was unable to have any children. And so she prayed to the Lord over and over and over again, and she would go and make sacrifices and give offerings. And finally, God granted her wish and allowed her to give birth to a son whom she named Samuel. And because God had answered her prayer, she consecrated Samuel to the Lord, and she sent him at a young age to minister to the Lord with Eli the priest. And we see very early on in his life that Samuel was set apart for the Lord's purposes. Hannah saw that he was a gift from God to her, an answer to her prayer, and so she gave him back to God to use for his purposes. And so God chooses Samuel to be the prophet, to bring the word again to Israel. And the cycle continues here. As Israel has sunk into sin and judgment and despair, God raises up his servant Samuel to bring his word. A word of judgment, yes, as we see here, especially for Eli and his sons, but also his word of hope, his word of salvation, his word of grace. God will keep covenant with his people and he will redeem them once again. God is is doing the work of new creation in the people of Israel, and it begins here with the call of Samuel. This is the turning point where God begins this new thing that he is doing in his people Israel. This new work that will reach its consummation in the kingship of David and the promise of a Messiah through David's line. What we see here in this story of Israel and of Samuel and of David and of God, this story of sin and redemption, of God's work of new creation, of course, all foreshadows the ultimate redemption and new creation that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. If we look forward to the Gospel of Luke, the first two chapters, more homework for you if you want it, you can look in the first two chapters of Luke and see how they echo the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. We see Hannah and Elizabeth and their prayers. We see Hannah and Mary and their prayers. We see Hannah's song and Mary's song. We see Eli and Zechariah. And of course, we see Samuel and Jesus and the parallels between them. And there is even a verse uh, in second, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. And it says that Samuel grew both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And Luke repeats this phrase almost exactly when he speaks about the boy Jesus. And what Luke is trying to say is that Jesus' mission in the world is the same as that of Samuel. That through Jesus, God is doing a new thing. That he is speaking once again words of judgment and of grace. Words with the power to redeem and to save. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of the word that God spoke to Israel through Samuel that we're going to be looking at over the next couple months. The book of Hebrews begins by saying this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And he goes on to say at the beginning of chapter 2, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We need to pay attention to God's word. And God's ultimate word, his ultimate speaking to us, was through his son, Jesus Christ. We remember on the mountain of transfiguration, the heavenly father said this, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Hear what he has to say and follow him. 
And Jesus spoke to the people then and continues to speak to us now God's message of sin and of repentance, of forgiveness and salvation, and of putting our faith in him. It's the message of his good news, which is that he is the son of God and what he did for us on the cross. Friends, when our passage from 1 Samuel today says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, I have to say that I wonder if it was the fact that God wasn't speaking or if it just was that people weren't listening. This is the faithful response we see from Samuel to God's word. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I wonder if this is our response to God's word when God speaks to us. Do we want God to speak to us? It's a good question for us to ask to ourselves. It's a dangerous question because if we want God to speak to us, if we ask for that, then when he does, we have to pay attention. We can't pretend we didn't hear anything if we've asked for God to speak to us. Are we willing to hear his word of judgment over our lives as Eli was? Eli, who had let his sons go crazy as the priest, and yet he still says, this is the word of the Lord. Let him do what is right in his eyes. Even Eli, the old priest, subjected himself to the word of the Lord. Are we willing to hear that word of judgment so that we can also hear God's word of grace? Are we willing to die to the sin in our life so that we can have new life in Christ? Sometimes I wonder if we don't live in a time and in a culture. In fact, I don't even really wonder about it. I can see it all around me that we live in a time and a culture where when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, we can see that around us very often. And it's certainly a question worth asking when some of the dominant messages we hear in our culture are, you've got to do what's best for you, or you've just got to follow your heart, be true to yourself. We do well to remember that Jesus tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Can we trust our hearts in order to follow them? I was looking this morning at the website called the Gospel Coalition. There was an article that popped up, uh, and I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline, but it said, New Book for Graduates, Don't Be True to Yourself. (laughs) And I thought, that's good advice, right? We are called to be true to the Lord, the one who has been true to us, and not ultimately to ourselves, because that's when we get in trouble. And before we're too quick to simply cast judgment on the prevailing culture around us, we might ask ourselves this very question, am I living in a way where I am doing what is right in my own eyes? How is it that I make my decisions? How do I decide my stances on the issues of the day? Where do I take counsel? Do I listen to certain celebrities or politicians or news stations first and foremost Am I being uh, mostly influenced by social media and what's out there on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is? Is that where I look first to develop my opinions, to form what I think about things? Or do I listen to the word of the Lord from the scriptures? The truth is that we all do what is right in our own eyes to some extent. It's just part of being sinful human beings in relation to a holy God. But the good news is that God sent his son, the word made flesh, into the world to die on the cross in order to seek and save us when we were lost, when we have gone astray, when each of us has turned to our own way. 
And Jesus comes to call us home to our heavenly Father. And friends, we can, just like Samuel, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak to me, God. Show me my sin. Call me to repentance. Give me new life in Christ. And may my life be consecrated to you like Samuel's and even like Christ himself. And when God speaks, will we listen and respond? As the psalmist writes, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Lord, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you speak to us. How would, we, how would we ever know? Lord, how would we ever know how much you love us, that you have created us, that you have sent your Son to die for us? And so we thank you today that you have spoken to us through your word, through your Son. You continue to speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And so, God, would you help us to respond faithfully like Samuel did, saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. May we hear what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.